This show is distributed by SoundCloud. Welcome. Welcome to episode 122 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. On today's show, we're talking to Ruben Gomez from BitSketch. Hey, Ruben, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Hey, guys, thanks for having me. So, Ruben, you're like the perfect example of a of how a bootstrapper would uh, do it, right? I mean, you uh, you created BitSketch by yourself on the side, out of nothing, and now you're full time, right? Living off the revenue from BitSketch, isn't that right? Yeah, about about two months ago. I don't know that I'd say I'd, I'm the perfect example. I did make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> well, it, it, in a way, that's the perfect example. I mean, we we all make a lot of mistakes, and and it's great that you've made mistakes and still succeeded. Yeah, if, if anyone has not made mistakes, I would call him a liar. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Ru, why don't we uh, start by having you just tell us about what BidSketch is and how you um, came up with the idea and got started on it. Sure. Uh, BitSketch is proposal software uh, made for designers. So designers use it and they pay a monthly fee um, to use it. Graphic designers, web designers. It's a SaaS product, so it's web-based. And the idea for BitSketch, hmm. I was actually, I was working on another product at the time. Uh, and like all my previous products uh, up to that point, I never launched a product. Um, I was getting bored. I was up to like the 80% mark, which, you know, that last 20% is just brutal, right? Or 80, 80% in terms of the coding, in terms of having... Right, so. right, right, exactly. Or do you mean also the kind of marketing as well, like the 80% of just getting it out the door and dot, dotting the I's and crossing no, the T's? No, no, no. At, at that time, I didn't really... My approach to building a product was just, hey, I can build this. I think people would pay for it. That's it. So there was no niche validation. There was no blog. There was nothing. It was literally yeah. just writing code. Yeah, that's something that I'm I'm pretty familiar with myself <laughs> until plug in. <laughs> I think most of us are like that, right? It's so much easier to write eighty percent of a project and uh, than it is to finish off the the remaining twenty percent. Real quick before you go on, you said that yeah. there were other. This wasn't your first project. You had done some other things before. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, just like all the normal, all the things that. I think many developers try to build for themselves. Uh, I think initially I was going to launch a content management system, a CRM, uh, you know, stuff like that. So this product that at that point in time was a test case management system. So what, what was different about BitSketch? Why did this one see the light of day versus the other ones? Uh, a, lot of, a lot of reasons, actually. Um, well, when, and if I go back to why the product that I was working on, when I was working on, on this uh, test case management system, I didn't do any marketing, any uh, validation of the market or, or anything like that, right? And I was just not interested in it. You know, I started to build it because I, you know, I'd inherited a team of beta testers and QA people at the time at my day job. Um, so I learned all about testing software and, and I looked for a tool. I didn't find one and I just, you know, said, okay, I can build this and I can probably sell it too. Um, so when I got to about the 80% mark, um, I, I started to get bored. You know, I didn't like testing software. It's just boring. 
like, you know, <laughs> seriously, it just, you know, it, it just wasn't interesting to me. Right. So I just couldn't finish it. I decided, okay, I can't do this. I need, I need something else. I need to do something else. Yeah. That's why it's so critical that you pick something that you're really excited about because you know, it, that, that initial enthusiasm of just working on something new wears off after a few weeks or at most a few months. And you got to go a few years <laughs> before you, right. before the thing is making, or maybe not that long, but you need to go at least a year, year and a half before it's at least making enough revenue that the revenue itself is justification to move forward. And not just because, Hey, I, I believe in it, or I think it's, um, you know, an interesting project. So, uh, or, or, or I think it might make money, but yeah. So, so then you, you said, you, but you said that that was your first time that you had a few other variations and stuff. So what, um, what got you off the test case to, um, to, to bid sketch? sketch itself? Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I think I was just at that point looking for an excuse to try to start building something else. Right. Um, and a friend of mine, you know, was, was a developer. He was looking at doing freelance work. So he wanted advice on how to do that, how to find clients, how to present services and all that stuff. So I explained to him, you know, what's involved in all of that. And I got to the part of where I was talking about, sometimes you need to do a quote. Sometimes you need to do a proposal, which is just a fancy quote. And I remember that years ago when I was free, years before that, when I was freelancing, I'd search for proposal software and there was nothing out there. It was just, you know, old software, downloadable software, plugins for words, just crappy, a lot of crappy stuff. So nothing web-based. So I decided, hey, uh, I wonder, you know, years later, what, what that looks like. So I searched online and same stuff. All the same products were out there and nothing web-based. So that's, that's why I decided to build BitSketch. Now, what, what about BitSketch made it interesting to you? Because um, you're not a designer, you're a developer, right? Um, I do both actually design and development. I'm interested to know why BidSketch got, I mean, so I understand why you didn't move forward with that testing one, right? but it sounds like there's a lot of other stuff that, that came into your life, um, that made you take BidSketch further than you'd ever gone before. So what were the kind of, um, the kind of highlight moments of what made that successful versus the other failures? Well, around that time, I was also reading, um, Eric Sink's blog. Are you guys familiar with him? Right. It was like something about micro S. It's like micro, right. micro S- ISV, US, I, yeah. ISV stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he had a great blog and book about marketing for micro ISVs. So um, around that time, I learned the importance of, you know, validating a market and marketing before you build, why you're building, all that stuff. Right. And I did some initial uh, research using the Google keyword uh, uh, tool, AdWords tool found that, okay, people are actually searching for this, so I can kind of make money. So, you know, and I actually thought of ways that I could market it before I launched. Um, and the things that actually made me stick with it, though, after I started building it, were that I outsourced um, part of the development, which helped me just tremendously, just did wonders for motivation. Um, I didn't spend that much money, but it's it's a big deal when you have somebody else other than just yourself working on the product. Basically, very early on, where was I? I had this idea. I said, okay, I'm going to build it. Um, I validated the market, or I thought I did, and that wasn't totally accurate. I'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, and very early on, um, so I put up a website. I said, okay, I know enough to put up 
uh, website, put up a blog and start blogging and focus on keywords and try and get traffic and people uh, started uh, building a mailing list and did all that. Um, I just didn't, you know, I read about it on Eric Sink's blog, but I didn't have specifics. So I, I was going about it the way that I thought it, it needed to be done. Um, so around maybe six months into the whole process of building the product, I met uh, Rob Walling. You guys know Rob, right? Right. Never heard um, of him. <laughs> Never, from Rob Walling and the Micropreneur Academy. Right, right, right. Yep. And at that time, he hadn't launched the Micropreneur Academy. So we're talking through email and... Uh, you know, I actually became part of the early beta testing group for the, for the academy. And uh, he put out a bunch of content and I was just fantastic. I learned so much from that. Um, and through, through him really is where I first started to consider, hey, maybe I can outsource this stuff. I don't have to do everything myself. And the, the really crazy part is that I was about, let's say, six months into development and I started looking at outsourcing and found that I couldn't find any people to help me out because I was building it in Grails. Are you guys familiar with Grails? Yeah, Grails is, is a Java-based sort of Rails-like framework. Is that right? Right, exactly. So with Grails, it's, it's, uh, the framework is written in Groovy, which is basically uh, written in Java. It right. compiles to Java bytecode and all that stuff. But and gro- gro- Groovy is like a dynamic uh, functional language, right? That right, exactly. It's like, okay. yeah, exactly. It's like Python and uh, Ruby. Okay. So uh, I, w- I was just having uh, a tough time finding anybody to help me out there, right? So I said, okay, this is nuts. Like if, if at this point in time I'm having a tough time finding anybody to help me out, then what, what is it going to be like later on? Uh, so I decided to scrap everything that I was doing, start over in, in Rails, Ruby on Rails, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, uh, you know. Oh, so you thought that the reason you couldn't find anyone is just because you were using a, a, a not, the tech. an uncommon right. technology. Right, right. And, and, and the problem with a, a technology like that is when you do get people, they're going to be very expensive because then they're specialists. Right. Especially yeah. in the Java world, too. Java developers yeah. are, are very expensive. So I started over, I scrapped everything that I had. That was a very tough dis- decision. Uh, but was it a good decision? Yes, it was, it was, it was a very good decision. I was, I was easily able to find people to help me out for very cheap, not the best code quality. And I, you know, it didn't go very smoothly. Um, but uh, I did build, I think the key was that I did all the important stuff. So I defined the architecture, right? I did all the, all the stuff that mattered. And then I outsourced, I hired people or you know, very little one guy, right? To work part-time on it. But what kind of cost? Uh, very little. A uh, firm from India, we're talking about like $8 an hour, maybe. I see. Wow. Code quality, not that great. Well, uh, quality but, but not that great. Done. I mean, it, was, it wasn't it wasn't so bad that you had to rewrite it, or I mean, no, no, no I, I had to refactor parts of it. You know, I, right. I still have parts that aren't that great, but the key was that it was just getting me uh, to launch way faster than just me working on it nights and weekends, right? Because I have a day job, and then I was still kind of every once in a while doing some contracting too. So you know, it, not so, a lot of time to work on this. 
Okay, I, I, this, I find this kind of interesting because I'm, a, I don't know, I, I guess I'm very wary of, of outsourcing to people for that very reason that it would be sort of substandard stuff and that I'd spend as much or more time attempting to uh, describe in words what it is I needed to build and then having to, you know, have conversation after conversation about it and then refactor and clean up the code and then ultimately right. fire them and get someone else. So right. my question to you is, I mean, how did you get past that? I mean, was it sort of a mental shift? You said, all right, this isn't going to be exactly the way I'd build it, but it's good enough. And what, what was the right, process? For right. You? Yeah. Um, I was, like I said, just defining all of the important stuff yourself initially is, I, I think that's a big deal because, you know, then when you're having somebody that's probably less skilled, if, if you're a bootstrapper and can't really afford to pay much, like, like I couldn't. Uh, you, you're basically you don't want them to work on all the on your architecture or anything that's critical, right? You want them to work on all the boring stuff, the stuff that's easy to do but needs to be done, right? That almost anybody can do, right? So, so that's that was my approach to it. And as far as the code quality, yeah, it's, you know, sometimes I'd get stuff back, I'd review it, I'd say, oh, you know, it's very easy to just say, okay, whatever, I'll just fix it myself and and keep moving forward. Or, you know, I did fire two developers, <laughs> uh, you know, settled on the third one was good enough. The, the third one was good enough, not, not because his code quality was way better than the others. It was a little bit better, but he was good enough because I could email him back and say, okay, this is no good, refactor it. And give him, you know, high level instructions on how to refactor it. And that just takes, what, two minutes. It's very easy to look over code and, and say what's wrong with it and fix it. And, you know, then he'd do, do a decent enough job for the most part. Where did you uh, find these developers? Uh, I, that was so long ago. Either online or through Elance or Guru. Okay. And did, did, were you able to vet them in any way? Or did you just sort of, did they have uh, code samples? Or how did you determine whether even to give them a chance or not? Yeah, uh, it, I just conducted a technical interview, like you know, okay. like any other interview. Did you kind of get individual developers, or did you get people who were part of a larger company? People that are part of a larger company. Basically, I I hired a firm uh, right. because uh, they have a manager. Then basically, who you well, can pass stuff. No, to. I said okay, they can, but my approach was, and and this I got from you know Rob. This was Rob's advice as well. Is just basically hire a firm. At, you interview the people, so you vet them, and then you ask for them to work for you if you're a developer and, and, and you know how to do that. If you don't know how to manage people, you don't know, you know uh, development, then it's best that you use one of their managers. But I did, so I wanted to work very closely with this developer. It was like me and him working on this product. And it was still, it was still only $8 an hour? Yeah, somewhere around there. Yep. Well, so he was getting paid like four or something. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows how much he was? Very little, right? A question that I've got is, at any stage, when, when you're opening up your entire code base and giving passwords to your server to someone like that and a company like that, is there, are you getting nervous about that? Or, I mean, there, could, couldn't they just basically take your entire code base and build, you know, the Indian version of BidSketch? Right, they could. Um, I mean, somebody could do that now. Uh, every once in a while, I outsource to more skilled developers nowadays um, some work. But uh, yeah, somebody, you know, they, ha they, they get the code base, right? Because I give them access to version control. Um, mm -hmm. So they get the code base. They can take that, duplicate it, put it up. But 
I mean, that's just the code. That matters very little. I mean, on the marketing side, there's so much to do. It would take them so long to get caught up. By that time, you know, uh, I would have a very different product and be way ahead of them on the marketing side anyways. Does, um, do, do you have them sign any type of consulting agreement that protects the intellectual property? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Is that something that they just offer as standard? Yeah, pretty much. Those firms will, you know, they have all sorts of clients. And, and a couple of their clients uh, were pretty well known as well. So you know, that sort of helped uh, me decide on, on using them. Do you write full functional, I mean, basically, because I know, I know that you were working in a pretty large corporation, right? And mm-hmm. in those corporations, there'll be kind of a waterfall approach with large right. uh, spec, spec documents. Do you use that experience and create those spec documents for these guys? And that's what you mean about kind of giving, setting the groundwork? Well, Do you kind of need that kind of skill to get involved with them or can you just kind of go along with it? Initially, that's what I did because you're exactly right. That's, that's what I knew, right? That, that was my experience and know how to write very long requirements, documents, very detailed use cases and all this stuff. So I said, okay, well, they're really going to need it because they're, you know, when you're working with somebody from another country, there's a lot of chance that, you know, there's a good chance that they wouldn't understand what you mean. So you have to be very cleared and detailed. So I, I was using fog bugs. I used the wiki and I wrote out all these instructions, very detailed requirements and use cases and just diagrams and all this stuff. And everybody was having trouble with that. You know, I think nobody was reading it. It was just too much. It was too long. It was too detailed. It's like when you get an email that's like a wall of text, it's just impossible to read. You just end up giving up. (laughs) So what happened? So um, in addition to that, I was supplementing it with with videos, with screencasts. Basically, you know, uh, I think using screencast.com, I would just go on there and, you know, for anything that I that I thought, okay, it would just be better to walk them through the mockups because I started with mockups before I had any code. I'll just walk them through the mockup and tell them what it's supposed to do as a supplement. And they just, they love those screencasts. It was very easy for them. So I said, you know what? Screw that. I'm just going to do everything based off of screencasts or as much as I can. So eventually that's what, you know, that's what it turned out to be. It was and that's faster to make as well. Right, exactly. It's a lot faster. What, what, what uh, software do you use to create the mockups? Um, soft, well, basically Photoshop, because the design went first, and then from the design, just take that and create HTML. Oh, so you okay. didn't use Balsamic. All oh, right, okay. I, I, yeah, I was expecting oh, to use... Well, I used Balsamic mockups before the, uh, before the design was uh, created. So Oh. the mockups, right? And then Photoshop work and then take that and then do the HTML. Well, that's kind of interesting actually because I, I would think that um, normally that you would use mockups kind of create a basically working site off the, off the wireframes or the mockups and then pull a designer in, but you kind of did the reverse. Um, so, well, first thing I'd like to say is um, how did you, or I guess I'd like to ask is how did you find a designer and... Um, and how did you, you know, pay for it or, or whatever before you uh, started getting revenue? Was it just off savings or what? Yeah, I think in total, the design cost me maybe about $800. So That's I hired... No, no, it was very cheap, but the design wasn't great. It was pretty bad. 
Um, I could I could have done a better job on the design end, and I took all of my energy not not to do not to you know not to do <laughs> to the resist design. it, huh? Right. Yes. Well, where did you find the designer? Was it like off Ninety Nine Designs or uh, or Elance or something? No, it was uh, it was another you know a firm through one of those places. I think I don't remember. Um, right. So it was like an overseas outsourced, low cost right. yes design job. Yes. It's sounding to me a lot like you've made the shift to business owner rather than kind of coder or designer. Somewhere along the line, there's been a mental shift, which is very interesting. Well, it, it helped that at the day job, I was, ma- I was managing people, right? Initially, when I started working at that job, I was a developer. But, you know, like a lot of people, I climbed the corporate ladder and was promoted to, you know, like team lead and then manager. And, and basically... Uh, by the time I started building BitSketch, I was managing people that were managing people. So I, you know, I'd experienced in that and I was sort of used to it. That helped. So, so you had learned to step away from the code and, and, and delegate, which I guess is a big step. Yeah, but you know what? When it's a lot easier when you're working for somebody. It's like when you're building your own thing, it's <laughs> all that stuff just comes back to you and you just want to do it yourself. You want to do it right. You know, so do you have any advice on how to how to get out of that trap? Because that's something that both myself and Jason can't get out of. <laughs> right. How do you pull it yeah. <laughs> I'm very much stuck in the, if you want it done right, just do it yourself. Yeah. I'd rather just build it myself and I'll be fat. And it doesn't scale. It, it just doesn't right. scale. Just, like how, how, do you, scale. How, how do we change our thinking about that, Ruben? Help us. It, it is very difficult. It's still, it's still a problem, honestly, for me, you know, to where I, I outsource work and I have to... I, I, I have to try very hard not to rewrite a lot of the stuff, you know. Um, as far well, as what? tricks, I I, there, I can't think of any specific thing. It's just willpower, almost. I guess it's just like when you're ready for it, basically. Yeah, I mean, you just have to realize that. I, I think also it helps, um, you know. Uh, maybe building several products that never launch, failing several times and realizing that, you know, <laughs> this just isn't working out very well, right? I, that kind of did it for me. That's like the definition of insanity is if you keep trying the same thing the same, and expecting right. a different result. <laughs> right. So um, you just said, all right, try something different. Um, okay, so they, they actually, they actually on the topic of the design, which I find interesting is that... Um, do you think it's a good idea to initially have an inexpensive design to get something that's up and working and then later sort of iterate and, and have like a, a more expensive design after you're further down the line? Um, because, and the reason I ask that is because it seems like the design that you had initially really helped your developers to see what the product was and how it was supposed to behave, even more so than if they were just looking at um, you know, the balsamic uh, wireframes. Yeah, I, I do think, yeah, I felt more, I could have used the uh, mock-ups to go through and, you know, talk them through how things were going to behave, but it, I think it was better to have the, not just the design, not just like the Photoshop files, but the actual HTML, you know, right? like on dropdowns and things like that. So you did that, you cut up the HTML from the designs, did you? No, um, I hired a company and you can hire, it's very cheap for like, you know, a couple hundred bucks to turn any, uh, uh, you know, Photoshop design into uh, mock-ups, HTML mock-ups. And they generally do a pretty good job. There are a bunch of them, like 
psd2html.com and, you know, to others. And, and do you feel that, that for them being able to look at the HTML, that there was much, there were many fewer, um, I don't know, misunderstandings about what was supposed to happen? I mean, I would think that if you're looking at a, right. a you know, the, the actual site as it looks, it's just sort of faked that it's hard to not understand what's happening or what's supposed to happen. Exactly. Exactly. Because, you know, now I'm, I'm clicking at on action on real elements, right? Like a real dropdown when I'm explaining something, multiple select or whatever it is. Um, and they can see what it is. Not just that, but uh, they actually also through version control get that. And that's what they, that's what they use to base their work off of. I think this can work for something like biz sketch. Well, actually, let me just ask one question. Mm-hmm. Is it is it very Ajax heavy? Is it very kind of age, like rich internet application, like a desktop app type of thing, or is it mainly like a web web kind of app? It's um, it's in between. It's in between. Some parts are are pretty Ajax heavy, and other parts are not. Because I'm thinking that um, Jason, for for certain stuff that's pretty Ajaxy, let's say for example Prezo or Plugio, mm-hmm. which is basically like an app, like a desktop app, really. I mean, I don't know how easy it would be to to take this approach. I mean, do you know what I mean? Do you you kind of need a, a, a UI specialist and, a, and an Ajax guy like you or me to do something like that? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm deluding myself. It's I, don't, a, it, I, don't I think it's a little different. I, I think um, you can you can still do it. It works. It works better than just using uh, you know Photoshop files or balsamic mock. Well, for, I mean, for Prezo, I can't imagine. Let's let's say Pre, let's say Prezo, right? You decided to get some um, design done, and then you decide you told someone to cut it up into HTML, and then you told someone to code the Ajax. I can't imagine that it <laughs> yeah, would be that's, a very that's, good problem. Like, yeah, we'll just, you know just build PowerPoint. Yeah, just do that. <laughs> I mean, no, right. no, you'd have to completely fake it. You'd have to create like um, almost like slides. Like, here's what it looks. You click on here, and then this is kind of what it looks like. You'd have to just do a series of slides and sort of fake it. I, I think right. would be your best. You really only way to do it. Well, in I'm Photoshop, you, you can. You, yeah, you can yeah. do it. In Photoshop, you can uh, annotate, and uh, I've done that, and. Um, that works relatively well. So I think, yeah, with something that Ajax heavy, yeah, I think the approach might have to change a little bit, but you can still do it. You can still do it. Interesting. Now, now the design that you have now is, is uh, very professional looking. Did you end up having it redesigned at a, at a higher cost? Uh, no. Um, the, yeah, the design that I have now is very different. And it's very different because... When I was beta testing, when I actually got to the point of where I had a beta for BidSketch, when my beta testers sent me a link, like there were no competitors, uh, you know, before I started building BidSketch, there was nothing, nothing web-based. So I got a link from one of my beta testers and he said, hey, have you seen these guys? I opened up the link and I was blown away because they had an amazing design that a very nice looking site and it was a competitor web-based very first one they had launched like two weeks uh, before or a week before mm-hmm. while I was in beta. So anyways, I started to research these guys and I found that they had write-ups 37 signals and a lot of buzz. And, you know, I was not happy about that, obviously, because they were a good competitor. Uh, a week later, uh, I was going through Flippa. Flippa's uh place where people sell their websites and web applications. And mm-hmm. I found them on Flippa for sale. 
<laughs> so wow. uh, short story is that I ended up buying them for <laughs> wow. a very small amount because I didn't have money. I had to actually borrow some money from my wife to do it. So I inherited the design for the website and the web application, and, and I integrated that with, with my own. Okay, I, I got a couple questions here. Uh, first of all, you had to borrow <laughs> money from your wife. <laughs> I, right. It turns out I don't have any money. My wife has all our money, so I don't borrow anything from her. <laughs> it's just like, I, I dep- my, my, the, any income kind of goes into some kind of account I hear about. And, right. uh, so your wife is like your bank account. <laughs> She's yeah. my CFO. I, I don't like I don't like borrow money from her. I just say just say, Oh, by the way, this is the this is these are the funds. So you actually had to go and say, Look, there she has her own sort of you know, walled off account and you just had to borrow from her? No well, she kinda does, but I mean uh I think Maybe borrow from our savings is, okay. is a better way to put it. Because, you had to you know, convince her that, yeah, okay. Right, right. You had to convince her that the investment was worthwhile. And was that an easy conversation? Did she go, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, have whatever you need. <laughs> yeah, because that's how it always goes, Justin. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a very small amount of money. Um, like, okay, they, they were up for sale and they wanted $10,000, which I thought was very little. Uh, yeah. But hmm. but they only had seven paying users, and th- this was part of why they sold. Right, they had like a thousand accounts, so they had a lot of buzz and all a bunch of people signed up, but then only seven paid for it. So you know wow. there was some friction there, and they just decided it's just not worth it. That happens a lot. People think that you launch and that's it, but you launch and it's you're just starting. It's just the beginning. So did you pay ten thousand? No, nowhere near that. Um, I couldn't afford it. Um, actually, talk. Um, I actually emailed the guy, had a conversation with him. You know, I didn't know where I was going to go. I was just like, "Hey, cool! You're you're you have the same exact product that I have, except it's nicer." Um, <laughs> and oh, well, you know, for the design standpoint. Um, so you know, just had a conversation with him, and I, I said, "I can't. I wish I had that much money. I can't afford it." And and nobody in um, Flippa was going to pay. $10,000 for seven paying uh, users. The way it works is typically they'll, they'll pay maybe about a year's worth of revenue, you know, some right. on the high end, maybe 20 months. But uh, so yes, it didn't sell. Uh, and, you know, after talking over with the guy, they really wanted, they just wanted to sell and he liked what I was doing to bed sketch and he felt pretty good about selling it to somebody that was, you know, uh, was doing what he wanted to do or initially had, wanted to do with it, uh, like the product vision that I had. So they eventually agreed to sell it to me for pretty low, low amount. Were you willing to say the amount? No, I, I'm, I'm good friends with Ryan Scherf. He's, okay. he's the main guy who, you know, uh, and now we're, he, you know, we sort of worked on stuff together and all that stuff, but he was the designer. Uh, okay. of, so he's the designer of, of my site right now. But so let's just say you could have probably you could have probably paid for a design, and it was pretty much a similar kind of amount, kind of thing. If you paid for a really good design, but you got this whole business with the Seth customers for yeah, you can say that for one design. So I got two designs: the sign, the design of the main website, the marketing site, the design of the web application, and then you know a thousand. Uh, uh, a list, email list of a thousand people 
in seven paid customers. Did any customers. of them convert to customers? Did any of the thousand lists convert to paying yeah, customers? Yeah, a few, a few. Not as many as, as I got during, you know, my launch and what I had from my own email list, but which was much smaller. But, uh, you know, some of them did convert. I think one of the two things, yeah, the two things that benefited me the most were the design and SEO because they were page rank four. So I was able to take their page rank and sort of redirect it to my site, which helped me on the SEO side. Right. And so you kept BidSketch. They, they had a different name for their product? Right. It was uh, Six Central. And, and I, at the time, I wasn't sure if I was going to go with Six Central or BidSketch. But I ultimately right. decided to keep uh, BidSketch. Why do you think that they gave up so soon? Were they, um, mm. Did they just want to work on other stuff? Were they um, you know, young and maybe still in school or working full-time jobs and they couldn't devote the time to What, what, yeah, what was the reason it, for that? It, it was three guys, and they were all they all had full time jobs, and they they spent uh, maybe eight months uh, working on it, six months, mm-hmm. eight months, something like that. Um, yeah, and they put put in a lot of time. It took a lot of effort, and it was stressful, like it always is when you're building your own product. It takes a lot out of you, and they they got a lot of buzz, and they expected, I think, a lot that they didn't get when when they launched. After, the, after a month and, and only having some paying users and seeing how, how many features people were requesting and needing and them not having time to work on it all that much, you know? That's kind of a similar experience that I had with Plugio. And um, it's like I, I launched it and expected it because I was just expecting it to become really big and, you know, get thousands of users overnight. And then when, it, when, it didn't, when I didn't see the growth that I was expecting, I was just like, oh, God, I can't be bothered with this anymore. Right. And it's, it's a typical thing to feel, and it's, it's really silly because, you know, you, you have to kind of get into the marketing stuff after that, and it does take a year to build, you know? Like, how, how long so, – so, so how long did it take for you to kind of get bid sketch to a point where you were earning, let's say, I don't know, a couple of thousand? A couple of thousand, probably about a year. And then how long have you been working on bid sketch in total now? I was able to quit my job at about a year and four months. So, uh, you know – um, so, so that last, that last kind of four or five months, right, has, it really started, you know, right. exponentially growing. Yep. But initially, right. like the, the first month, it was a few hundred bucks. And then, you know, uh, the first month was actually pretty decent compared to the other months because, because I had my launch. So that was very helpful. And it's, it's super important to, to have some sort of launch strategy. That, that, was, that was critical. I think yeah, without a, you know, initially before I just had an, uh, I was building an email list and I was just going to tell them, hey, here's my product, go ahead, sign up, all that stuff. If I would have done that, then I would have gotten, you know, who knows, uh, a lot less uh, people signing up for the paid plan. Like they did that with a thousand users and they got seven, uh, seven paying users out of it. I did. So what did you do? I did, a, well, I basically just gave them, a discount. I said, okay, um, the email list, you guys are going to get a special rate for seven days. You have seven days to sign up at this rate. It's a life, lifetime rate. And, uh, you know, nobody else is going to get this. So it's not public yet. It's pre-launch. And that just helped me get, I think, about, not a, not a ton. I only had like 250 
people on that email list, but I got about 20 people to sign up for the paid plan. Did you have beta testers before that? Were you working with a bunch of free people to kind of round out the, the edges? Or did you just go straight from you think it was good to launching it as a paid product? I had, uh, yes, I had a beta testing group. It was very small. I had about five people, six people. And I did that on purpose. Initially, I thought it was going to be a big group like everybody else does. But uh, I learned that beta testers don't convert very well. Everyone was saying this. So, you know, I didn't want that 250 people to, you know, be my beta test group and then not convert well. I also learned that a very large group like that is very difficult to get great feedback out of. So I was able to just take five people and say, okay, uh, you guys are the beta testing group. Give them a mission. Give them, you know, very specific instructions about what I want out of them and a timeline and, uh, you know, have them focus on that and, and give me great feedback. That, that's really interesting, actually, the, about the small versus big beta group, because, right, it kind of reminds me of, like, if, there, if, if there's only, you know, a half dozen or so beta users and they know, that, and they're aware of that, then they know how important their input is, right? right. They know that you're, you're counting on them and you're, and you're probably able to interact with them on a very personal and direct and frequent level. Whereas exactly. if, if you have hundreds, it's just people are like, ah, you know, I'm just one in a big group. I may or may not have time for this. And it just becomes impersonal. It's just like when you send, if you send an email blast to a bunch of people, it's, it, and, and people know they're part of an email blast, a few people respond. But if, I, if you send individual emails and I, if I say, if I email Justin directly and I say, hey, Justin, X, Y, Z, he's going to respond to me, right? But if he knows I'm just emailing a thousand people, he's not going to be bothered with it, right? Right, and right. so it sounds like it's a similar, a similar thing. How did you find five people that you could trust to give good uh, beta testing advice, and how did you convince them to get on board? Well, uh, first, initially, I had uh, when I was building my email list, I had a link on the welcome email that said, "Click here if you want to be part of the beta testing group." So, and this was when I thought I was going to have a larger beta testing group. I had about 50 people click on that link, you know, and I was fine with it. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I'll have about 50 beta testers. This was another uh, thing that Rob was very helpful with. He, he, you know, we talked about it and he told me about the smaller uh, beta testing group, uh, the advantages to having a smaller beta testing group. I said, okay, that's interesting. I want to do this, but I have a problem. I have like 50 people that I told, you know, uh, I, that expect to be able to beta test this. So uh, I decided to just email them and let them know, hey, sorry, I have way more people than, than you know, uh, I anticipated. I can't have everyone beta testing uh, the application. So the first five people or first, you know, few people that respond to this email will be beta testers. And everybody else, you'll get a special deal. You'll get to use it before it's public. You know, I'm sorry, but you know, I can only accommodate a, a certain amount of beta testers. And that's interesting that, so Rob Walling was giving you these suggestions. I mean, and you, were, you said you were in contact with him. Were you participating in the, his Micropreneur Academy or were you just, say, in some sort of informal email contact with him? Well, before he had the Academy, it was just informal email contact with him. And then okay. after, you know, he launched the Academy, it was, it was through the Academy and just email you know, outside of that. Okay, so you so you actually went through the academy um, before Bootsketch launched. 
Yes, he he was kind of putting out the the you know the lessons out there. I don't remember if they were all out before I launched or not, but uh, that was a big that was that was the main reason uh, why I rebuilt the app and, and Ruby on Rails. How how much um, do you recommend the the Micropreneur Academy? Oh, I think it's great. It's it's probably one of the main reasons why I launched BidSketch instead of just give up on it. Uh, so, you know, I can't recommend it enough. What does it, what does it kind of bring to you that, that you don't get on your own? Well, I think the, the two, well, all the lessons and the content and there are just, you know, that's pure gold. It's, it's great. Um, aside from that, the forums are very good. Would I, would I, got a lot of use out of there's this one form to where you post your progress it's the accountability forum so you basically mm-hmm. every week post what you're going to accomplish for the next week right and what you accomplished last week so i use i use that extensively and and that was great motivation for me when i was building a product because you know if i had a few days where i just slacked off and didn't feel like doing anything and i knew that i was going to have to post my my update you know, in a few days. So I better do something, right? I don't want to just say, okay, well, I didn't do anything. You know, I said I was going to do these things. I didn't do any of them. Yeah, accountability is huge. And I th- and Justin is a big, um, you know, a proponent of uh, masterminding, which it sounds like this is sort of virtual masterminding, right? Right, right. Well, of course, because we're also in a mastermind group, myself and Ruben. Um, right, right. And the accountability of that mastermind group, I found really excellent. I mean, basically, since that mastermind group started is is when Plugio has started actually, you know, going in an upward trend because of that accountability. Well, because it got you to do things that you didn't necessarily want to do and you were maybe yeah. avoiding and they just, but when you have two or three smart entrepreneurs who are, who are giving you advice and, and you're agreeing like, yeah, these are things I need to do. It's kind of hard to come back next week and say, oh yeah, I just ignored all your advice and didn't do anything. Now, also, so it was, it was about accountability, but it sounds like the advice that Rob was giving you was pretty critical. Um, can you Absolutely. maybe enumer- I mean, enumerate some of, the, some of like the, key, the key learning points that maybe kept you from sort of going off the rails and, and just screwing up the whole thing? Well, first was outsourcing. That was huge. That was a big deal mm-hmm. uh, because uh, not only did I outsource parts of the developments, but I also outsourced like content creation. So I mm-hmm. put out free proposal templates and that's been huge for my uh, traffic and being able to convert, uh, you know, that traffic into paying users. So uh, I outsourced yeah. some of that. I even outsourced like, uh, like research for a whole house water filter, what to do on vacation uh, indoors in Orlando when it's raining, stuff like that, because I was building a product. I wanted to focus on that. Anything that was going to take my time away from that, you know, outsource it. So, right. uh, that was, that was critical for that. Um, let's see my mailing list. When I was collecting emails, I wasn't getting that many emails out of there. And, uh, some of the advice that I got was use an, give them an incentive to give you an email address. Don't just put up a page and say, okay, well, Give me, you know, I'm building this product. Give me your email. What does, you know, that, okay, some people are going to do it, but you're going to, you're going to miss out a lot. So I offered a free proposal template that they can download anywhere else as an incentive. And that was right. big. That, that got me a lot more emails. 
Okay. Um, let's see. Sound like he, he suggested uh, yeah, moving the, to Ruby on Rails as opposed to Grails? No, no, no. It was just uh, the outsourcing thing that sort of, uh, you know, where I, I decided, okay, I want to outsource and I was having trouble finding people. So, so that decision as far as using Ruby on Rails, I just came to okay. uh, by myself. But there were a lot of, you know, just countless of things, uh, of, uh, you know, situations where the advice was very useful. Well, I guess doing a startup is really just a sum of a lot of little decisions <laughs> and they mm, kind of right. add up a lot of, you know, if you make a lot of good decisions, a lot of little good decisions, you start seeing success and you pick up momentum and you buy yourself time and motivation to make more decisions. And hopefully if they're better than, than they would be otherwise and you're keep moving forward. So if you have somebody like Rob and also we've had Amy Hoy on the show and she has a similar type of, um, I don't know, a mentored, um, I don't know, lesson plan. Is that right? Is that how you describe it, Justin? Right. I mean, it's sort of a, I mean, that, that, that can really help, right? Um, really, that sounds really helpful for, uh, for people, especially people like ICE, three of us are also trying to do stuff. And, and Ruben, obviously you're, you're further down the road. And the fact that you're full time on it now is that you're trying to do something, you're bootstrapping it while you're occupied with a full time job or freelancing. So it's very easy to get distracted or get demotivated and discouraged. Yeah, no. it's, and anything that can help you along, you know, just does wonders for your motivation. So uh, the small beta testing group was also uh, something that was really, I think it was great because I was also able to use them for testimonials and uh, really great feedback. Also, uh, there was another one that I missing out on. Let's see, beta testing. Oh, launch strategy, which I totally ripped off from Rob. I just copied what a lot of the stuff that he does. So what is that strategy? Oh, are we allowed to, maybe maybe we're not allowed to say because it's ripping off Rob. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think he, he talks about it in the Academy. Um, it Basically, it was just, you know, giving them a pre-launch discount, uh, giving them a timeline, being, you know, that, that time pressure is critical. It's very important. Mm. I had the most signups, right? I had 20, 20 something signups out of a 200, uh, um, and these are paid signups. These aren't like free account signups, right? Of uh, right. out of two hundred people from mailing lists, and so I had I offered a free plan and a paid plan, and I actually had more people sign up for the paid plan than the free plan at that point in time. That's how effective wow. that was. Do you carry through the time pressure concept to your main product now and your general marketing journeys? No, I, I, I base when I when I don't offer a free plan anymore, and that was another huge milestone for me that that was that's done wonders for me but yeah let's uh, talk about that because you wrote a big blog post that um i think you i don't know if you were yeah he wrote a big blog post that on and on the through through rob's blog yeah it was a guest post it was guest post on blogs and and what was it uh what was the title of it it was like um why free plans don't work work. right yeah well why don't you tell us about that tell us give us the just i just 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 before you do i just want to say that off the back of that i pulled my free plan and it totally didn't work for me and my business (laughs) went downhill (laughs) so it just goes to show that you know one rule doesn't doesn't suit all anyway yeah but your approach was also different than mine right because you weren't asking for credit card information up front which i think is it's it's a key component of that so it's not just strictly you know uh pulling your free plan um but yeah, so basically early on when right after I launched a product, I had this pretty decent launch. I was very excited. Um, the first day, I think I had like 
you know, close to 10 people sign up for the paid plan. Uh, and then the last day of, of that launch, I had, you know, again, about nine people sign up for the paid plan. Um, so it, that just shows you that that timeline really affects their decision making. But then after that, um, it was just dead. It was, it was nuts. It was, <laughs> I was getting maybe one to two signups um, a week, right? Uh, paid signups a week. And I was getting maybe like 30 signups or more, 50, I don't remember exactly, uh, a day or a week. Some 50 free signups. Right, right. Free signups. So most people were signing up for the free plan. It was totally different, right? My pre-launch, it was everybody signing up for the paid plan. After it, whenever you just have regular visitors, everyone's taking the free plan. Very few people taking the paid plan. So I was getting about one to two paid plan signups a week, and then half of those canceling before the 30-day trial. Um, and, you know, I was, I, was, <laughs> I was having a tough time with that. I was trying everything that I could think of to get the, well, to get the free uh, people to upgrade and then to just to get more people, uh, you know, a few more, even just double the amount of people that were signing up for the paid plan to get them to sign up for the paid plan. I A-B, uh, A-B tested, you know, buttons and headings and plans and uh, a bunch of different things, emails, and I tried a lot of different things. Some Some of the things I tried had a little bit of success, but not much, practically nothing. And I'm trying to think of about a month in, right? I was just, things were not looking good. The growth was just going to be extremely slow. It was going to take me forever to grow at this pace. And I was getting a lot of free users. So I was working, you know, at the day job. A thousand free users by the end of the month is close to around what I had. And, you know, that was support, right? People emailing me while I'm at the day job asking questions and they're not paying for the app. That was uh, not good. I didn't like where things were heading, you know, right. two months, three months, six months later. So um, one of the things that I tried doing was, okay, I'll just kill the free plan as an experiment. So I killed the free plan. Uh, and that week I received, I received like, you know, maybe 10 times the amount of signups that I paid signups that I normally do because that's the only thing that somebody could sign up for. Right, right. So uh, immediately from killing, it wasn't like, you know, I had to wait a month or anything like that. I, I just got a great number of sign up, paid signups. So that made it very easy for me to, to just leave it like that. And what I did to experiment with that, I didn't, I didn't even change any code or anything like that. I just literally went to the HTML uh, and just got rid of that that column in my on my pricing page, the free plan column. And that's it. Right, right. Um, and, and you said that you um, ask for the credit card up front, right? <laughs> that you don't. Um, is what is, is is there like a uh, money back guarantee or anything like that? So if they use it for a, a month or you don't charge until a month goes by, how does that work? Right. Uh, they get 30 days to try it, and I actually send them an email five days before I charge them, saying, okay, your 30-day trial is almost up. You'll be charged if you don't cancel, and, you know, people can cancel at the – well, they can cancel at any point uh, and avoid the, the credit card charge. But, yes, I do ask for that credit card information up front. 
So that's basically, oh, sorry, that's basically exactly what I'm doing. Uh, that exactly what I'm doing now, the same as Ruben, but I'm just moving to the Nosby approach, which is 60 days risk free and your money back. Um, so that'll be interesting to see what, what difference that makes. The 30 yep. versus the 60 day? Well, it's no, it's, it's actually a different strategy altogether. Like that when they sign up, they get, they pay money instantly. Okay. So, right. and then they, they, and then they pay money the second month and then they have a full 60 days to decide if they want their money back. So you don't have to go through this 30 day wait, uh, to get any money at all. You get money up front, but there is the possibility that they sign up. But, but when we spoke to Michael Nosby, he said that he basically, oh, it's, uh, gets Michael, it's Michael, what's Michael's last name? Oh, sorry. Uh, he's uh, Nosby's the company. It's a oh yeah, okay. A well, getting when, we spoke, things done. when we spoke to Michael, he said that his um, refund rate was five percent, right? Which is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, five percent of what of the of the paid people users. Put in the, yeah, people who people sign who up. Sign up yeah. People who sign up for the sixty day free trial, he has a five percent refund rate. Yeah, that's great. So that's that's kind of what I, I've just been rolling that out this week, and I'm hoping to push it through by the end of the week. So it'll be live. That should be interesting. I, I'm I, I think I'll I'll end up trying something like that out at some point, because that 30 day f- feedback cycle is nuts. It's you know it's killer. Like I tested yeah. my pricing out, and you know increased my pricing. So t- to find the right price point, I just started out, off at a really low price point and then increased it and kept increasing it until you know I was basically losing money. So then I yeah. I, that- that's interesting because I've heard that that there was one. I think it was a blog post I read a while back. It was really funny. As a guy, a guy says he tells a friend of his like, "Hey, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm charging five dollars a month, and I got all these new signups." And his friend's like, "All right, that sounds great, and I'll double your price." And the guy's like, "What?" <laughs> he's like, "Yeah, double it." And so he he cautiously doubles it to ten dollars a month, and he's like, "All right, yeah, I got the same number of signups." The guy's like, "Great, double it again." He's like, "What?" <laughs> Doubles again. It wasn't until like the third doubling to him from to twenty to forty. These drop off. So is that kind of the the way that you would advise is kind of start low and then just and then just increase it until you hit the drop off and then there you know and then you know what your pricing should be right right yeah that's exactly what i did um it yeah i didn't double my pricing i just increased it by a few bucks every month but uh that you know it, it worked well i i found a point where i just wasn't making uh well i think i was losing just a, a little bit less money so I reverted back, anyways. Well, but where did you start? Where did you start in pricing? Where and where did you end up? What take us through the steps? I think because he's currently on nine dollars a month for the basic mm-hmm. plan, so you must have started pretty low. Well, no, I, I initially just started with the premium plan, right? Okay. So the premium plan is nineteen dollars now. Okay. So I I went, you know, that went through uh, me. It's been a while. Maybe like twelve and fourteen, and then nineteen. Okay. Uh, and then 24 and then back okay. to 19. Okay. And over what period of time did you test each price increment before or, or step before you decided to move up another level? Very, this was very early on. This was, you know, d- during uh, the early days. So literally during, during the first few months, I think as well, I, I had to wait for that 30 days, right? So it was every month I was changing the price. Right. And now, when did you introduce the basic versus the premium plan? Because that's always an interesting discussion is like, how many different offerings do you have and how do you break out which features go at which price level? I introduced the basic plan when I had uh, 
pretty early on as well. I introduced it when I had the free plan. So, okay. and one of the things I was trying out was, you know, whether uh, IAB tested, whether it made a difference to have a free plan and the premium, you know, on my pricing page, just those two or uh, all three. Right. And it seemed to do a little bit better when I had just two. Right. Also, the the length of features, like you know, when you have those those uh, plan those grids, right, kind of like thirty seven signals to where you show show the price, and then you know, uh, each row shows like the features that are available for the plan. Um, funny enough, just having a shorter uh, feature list seems to convert better than a longer one. Uh, I don't know what. Have this- you tried exploring the the magic levers? Because I'm just looking at your um, premium plan versus your basic plan. And one thing that jumps out to me is the use your domain. And I, I could kind of imagine that being a magic lever that would move someone from a basic $9 a month up to a $19 a month plan. And it, but you've got, it, you've got it available for the basic and the premium? Yes. Um, yeah, I, I initially had some of those features only available to the premium plan. I decided to make them available to the basic plan. I was testing it out trying to make the basic plan more sticky. Um, you know, because at, at that time also I was getting, I was getting those paid signups, but then only then about like half of them were sticking around. Right. That means it's a ha- it's a 50, you have a 50% conversion rate from trial to paid, but I was viewing it as a 50% cancellation rate. They weren't, but they weren't customers yet. So that was wrong. Anyways, I was pretty freaked out about that. And I was trying all sorts of things. And, and that's when I decided to give some of those features to the, basically, they almost have, I think, the same amount of features. So, so is it basically that you think when people sign up for the basic plan, there's a much lower churn rate because it's much less money for them to stress about or think about? Right, right. And and the people that want to go to the premium plan, they'll they'll typically just sign up for the premium plan to begin with right away. Um, and then anyways, at, at some point, if they're really using the application, my basic plan is, is made so that once you hit uh, 15 clients, you have more than 15 clients, uh, you have to upgrade. Well, okay. So when you say clients, ongoing clients, or they just have, they've created 15 clients throughout the history of, through, throughout the history, catch. right? So it's not like more than fifteen in a month or anything like that. It's uh, ever since they started using BidSketch. So they can't create a new client. You've done fifteen, so you're real business. I mean, you're not just right. doing a little bit of freelance on the side. So exactly. Well, how did you figure out what features? What were the magic features? Or the magic levers, I guess, is what Justin calls them. Yeah. Well, I didn't. I I basically just guessed, and you know, after a while, I I got a better idea of it based off of usage. You can, mm-hmm. you know, once once you have a SaaS app, that's the nice thing. It's very easy to look into the database and see what things people are using most. What's the maximum number of users that one per? Because I see you have users, right? So I'm presuming that different people with different logins mm-hmm. can log into one account, right? Right. What is the maximum number of users that you have who, using BitSketch? Uh, for for what for one like as in one one paying plan right. for nineteen dollars? What would be the maximum number of users? It's been a while since I've looked at that, but the last time I checked was maybe like 10, 15. 10, that's interesting. Yeah. So, so te- 15 people are using this account for $19. Right. That's what I was thinking there because I see that it's unlimited for the premium plan. 
just wondering about that, you know? That's oh yeah. I plan on, on moving my pricing. That pricing uh, has been around for about a year. So, you know, I think it's overdue as far as moving those plans up. I mean, creating like an, create, you create like an enterprise or large, larger account. Well, I haven't decided whether I'll just increase the pricing, you know, of the basic and the premium, or I'll introduce another plan and then move around some of those features. Um, I remember uh, listening to an interview with uh, one of the founders of Wufu, the uh, online form builder. Mm-hmm. And I think the guy admitted that they, the majority of their revenue actually came from a small percentage of their users who all were customers for their, lar- their most expensive account. Like you could almost wipe out the two lower ends and it would, they'd still have like 80% of the revenue. So it seems like it makes sense once you get to a certain level of sort of stability and maturity with the product that you can introduce a higher end offering and then you might very well end up having a much greater income growth and then you can even focus more on that group later if you want to because it's just such a nice, you have fewer customers and they pay you a lot more money. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I think it's always better to have less customers for the same amount of money. If you're making the same amount of money even, then you know, why would you want more customers? Unless you're well, there, I can think of one, I can think of one reason, mm-hmm. which is um, essentially you're hedging your bets, and you've got a lot of smaller eggs in a lot of baskets, and so if you lose one customer, it doesn't have such a huge effect on you. Yeah, maybe if if you're talking about like five or ten customers, but I'm talking about like the difference between you know, let's say a thousand customers versus a hundred thousand. You know, I okay, yeah, yeah. Right. Or, or even a hun- even a hundred versus say a thousand, right? You know, right, I mean, if right. you have hundred customers, you lose one, you gain one. It's not that big a deal. One percent, two percent, you know, drop offs or gains. But you know, servicing a hundred higher end customers, I mean, it'd be fantastic if you had a hundred customers paying you a thousand dollars a month <laughs> if you could do it, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's great that that Ruben has basically moved out of his job and he's now fully supporting himself off BidSketch and. Really, there's just a $9 plan and a $19 plan. Like That says a lot that you've managed to get that many customers. I mean, it's very good. Thanks. Uh, it's, it's crazy. The battery's living in a hut under the bridge. <laughs> 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 no, no. I have uh, two homes. I have like, you know, mortgage, mortgages. Uh, you know, I have real expenses. Uh, right. So, yes. Uh, my wife. What was you about work. to say before, before uh, Jason interrupted you there? Uh, I don't know. What was I we keep say? interrupting him. He can't even finish right. the show. You said your wife. Sorry. Something about your wife. Let's hear the thing. What you're going to say about your wife? No, I, I, I said my wife does work, though. Okay. Um, so that helps. But in any case, I do have to bring in real money. Not like, you know, I can't bootstrap, just live off of like $2,000, $3,000 a month. That, you know. Is the growth curve sloping down or is it just going up in a straight line? Um, it seem to have been going in a straight line but it's it's i think it's increasing <laughs> so it's going hockey stick <laughs> yeah well you know it's looking a little bit like it you know um michael slowinski of um nosby made an interesting observation of his revenue which he said it went sort of from plateau to plateau like Something would happen, he's making a few hundred dollars a month, and then he'd get, he'd, he'd release a new feature or get some coverage in a bigger blog, and it would get knocked up to another level. Now he's making $400 a month or $300 a month, and then he's going along for a few months, and then something else happens, and now he's making $500 a month. I mean, is that the kind of thing where 
is a, are you experiencing something similar, which is a series of like step, it's sort of steps as opposed to like this smooth, you know, uh, curve, continuous, continuous curve? Yeah, you know what? I, I think that's right. I think that's what I'm seeing, but less steps. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think just a few months ago, I, I received a bump up to the next step. From, uh, from private discussions, I know you've had some success through integrating BidSketch with third-party apps. Can you tell us a little bit of what, what's that about and how's that helped you? Sure. Uh, that's been a huge deal. Actually, uh, the two biggest things, I think, for increasing my traffic have been uh, SEO and in- integrations, partnerships. So basically, it's just a lot of the uh, apps that my customers use um, offer APIs. So let's take FreshBooks or HiRise, right, uh, CRMs. Uh, they offer an API that you can uh, use to integrate your app with. Well, I integrated BidSketch with both uh, HiRise and FreshBooks. And um, the neat thing about when you integrate with somebody, well, it's certain people, not everybody, but uh, let's take FreshBooks. When I integrated with them, they actually not only put me on their partners page, which is very nice for traffic. Um, it's very nice for traffic because it's not a ton of traffic, but it converts extremely well, way better than just normal visitors. Right. Um, but the nice thing was that they actually emailed out their entire user base, uh, you know, with an announcement about these new apps have integrated with FreshBooks. And they only had like four or five on them. And that was one of them. And that was huge. I think in, in one day, in a 24-hour period, I got one, one maybe two months worth of uh, paid signups from that. Wow. Wow. That's a big deal. And what kind of integrations do you do? Like what kind of... How, what ways do you use the APIs, for example, with FreshBooks so, or with HiRise? Yeah, with FreshBooks, basically, uh, FreshBooks is the billing part of, of of the workflow for, you know, when you take on a new client, you basically initially just propose to them, right? You, you give them this proposal and uh, they accept. From that point, you give them an invoice. So you build them and that's where FreshBooks come in, comes in. So two parts. For the integration, I... I imported all of their clients. So when you use the FreshBooks integration, you can import all your uh, FreshBooks clients into BidSketch directly. And then what you can do is you can, when the time comes and let's say a client accepts the proposal, you can convert that proposal into an invoice. Mm. And, you know, it populates, pre-populates FreshBooks with that. If the client doesn't exist there, it'll create the client in FreshBooks and then it'll create an invoice automatically with you know the same name title all the fee information that's interesting and what about the high-rise stuff high-rise it's basically crm so uh it's importing of contacts and then high-rise uh you can create uh what's called a deal right and then they have status like pending uh so i basically can import their clients but i can also take those deals and convert them into proposals. Interesting. Right. And so now you, the, uh, you said in addition to the integration, you also had a, you, your other big, I guess, customer acquisition uh, strategy is SEO. Could you maybe tell us a little bit about that? Right. Uh, SEO makes up 40%, maybe 50% of uh, the traffic that I get nowadays. I think I'm somewhere around 15, 16, 17, 18,000 uh, visitors a month is what I get okay. 
for BitSketch. And most of them are, yeah, I think most of them are basically just based off of uh, organic search in Google. Uh, and they're looking for specific key uh, uh, keywords. So my uh, SEO strategy has been a huge deal. It's, it's, it's very important. Those visitors uh, convert better than any other type of visitors, except for the integration visitors. Uh, wow. So it's very nice. Um, basically, essentially what I did early on before I started building BitSketch, and this was like the very first thing that I did, was I, I put out a free proposal template. And, well, I did some research, found out what people were searching uh, for in my space. And I was a little bit bummed because uh, I found that people weren't searching for uh, web design proposal software. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that wasn't good, but people were uh, searching for proposal templates. So, so I figured that, okay, well, um, basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to give them free templates then I'm going to upsell them on proposal software because that there wasn't any competition. So they don't know that this type of software exists and that they need it. So I, I focused right. on keywords that are, you know, that are slightly different, but uh, you know, it, it's, it's not a huge jump to think that somebody that's looking for a template would like to use a tool that lets them do this. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so basically, initially, I, I put that out and I started focusing on, I think I have four main pages. No, no, six main pages. But four of those pages bring in uh, the most traffic for me as far as organic search is concerned. And I offer, I focus on a few keywords per page, like two keywords or key phrases per page. Uh, and I give out free templates. And I receive, I don't know, 5,000, 6,000 just from that, just from those four pages. Wow. That's awesome. And, and that's all you do for SEO? That's it? No, no, no. Um, okay. I have also the blog, right? So I have blog posts. And, and I exper- experimented early on with, uh, you know, just ranking for different terms to see, to see how difficult it was and what the keyword density is uh, supposed to be and all that stuff. So I, I do have a lot of traffic coming in through the blog as well. But uh, definitely the pages where I'm giving free proposal templates uh, are the ones that bring in the most traffic or natu- natural search uh, for natural search results. Right. Now, where did you learn about these uh, SEO techniques? Was this stuff you just searched around the web or was it like a Rope good book on it? Or Rob Walling? <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> as far as, no, as far as SEO, um, at the day job, uh, I, I didn't have to do SEO, but I contracted an SEO firm. And okay. I just kind of became interested in what they were doing. So on my own, I just decided to learn about SEO when, you know, um, I read up a lot. Uh, on a bunch of SEO tactics and techniques and stuff like that. And uh, very, this is kind of interesting. Early on, uh, when I found out that people weren't searching for my, for my uh, software, uh, one of the first people that I emailed uh, was uh, Patrick McKenzie. Yep. And I, you know, I, I was basically wondering whether my niche was too small and I just wouldn't make any money. I just discovered Patrick's blog, which is a great blog. I said, maybe this guy will know he's making right bingo software for 
school teachers. Yeah, exactly. If a guy can make a living off selling bingo right. software, you know, he, he knows something. He's doing something right. Right. So I, I emailed him uh, and I and I told him I was also trying to validate my niche and I went to forums and I posted questions. What's, you know, what, what are the pain points in writing proposals? Nobody answered me. So that, that was a real bummer. It's like nobody's interested in this. I had one answer. And the guy said, they're easy. There's no problem with writing proposals. Like, what are you talking about? So um, I was bummed. I found his blog. It was very interesting. He was doing a lot of stuff on SEO. I emailed him. I said, you know, I, there doesn't seem to be a lot of interest here. I'm starting a blog. I already started a blog. I'm focusing on keywords, but I don't know. He replied back, you know, saying basically that I was nuts. <laughs> that uh, No, he was very nice. He said uh, that he thought I had a big market. And that he saw a lot of opportunities to dominate this space as far as, you know, with, uh, with a good SEO strategy and blogging, uh, really useful content that they'd like. And, and that was, I think that was, a, that was a very good email that kind of helped me decide to just stick with it early on. Interesting. So that, that sounds like a turning point for you. Yeah, I think so. so it, was, hmm. it was good. That was before I even had built anything or started writing code. When I was just he, doing you, research, you didn't hire uh, Patrick as a consultant or anything. And he just no. answered your questions via email, just as a friend, being a friendly guy. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't even know him. Right, I just sent him an email, and he sent back this very thorough response. This great email. I said, you know what? He's right. I can really do a lot in this space. Yeah, I, I think uh, two words that you could use to describe Patrick McKenzie are generous and thorough. <laughs> He's very thorough. If you read anything that he's written in, in, in he, the way he goes through very meticulously all of his experiments, and yeah, he he definitely um, he definitely uh, is thorough. Yeah, yeah. So, and there and Rob did also help me on the SEO side. Uh, he helped me in that when I did keyword research, I used the Google Keyword uh, AdWords tool, uh, and that's not necessarily the right tool to use, especially back then. Um, because it's based off of advertising. So if you're doing advertising, it'll tell you, you know, how, what the competition is like. So it's accurate for that. But if you're just looking at organic search, then it's not really correct, right? Because you're not using AdWords. So back then they had a, and they still have it. It's a Google keyword search-based, uh, search-based keyword tool, which was, you know, basically meant for just the natural search part of Google. That was more right. accurate. Um, it's not that accurate nowadays, I think. But um, so based off of that, Rob sort of pointed that out to me. So I used that new tool and I saw that, hey, I'm not going to get a lot of people looking for this application if I'm just focusing on these narrow key terms. I was just focusing on web designers at the time. And that's Word Tracker, was it? No, that was not Word Tracker. That was uh, just Google. It was from Google also. Oh, okay. Right. Hey, uh, this might actually be a really good time to, uh, to to sort of tell our audience that there's a conference coming up called MicroConf that's being put on by um, Rob Walling. Um, and Rob is going to be a speaker there, obviously, and so is Patrick McKenzie. So, uh, right. yeah. Yeah, and I think Andrew Warner is going to be there. And, I don't so know, when's that coming Sean up? Ellis. Well, it's uh, June 6th and 7th in Las Vegas. Um, and if you go to MicroConf, uh, dot com. There's, there's, that's the uh, the website, the URL, and you can sign up. So, and I think Justin, you and I are going to go, right? 
Well, don't forget to tell people to enter texting. There should be a space um, where people can enter some kind of code. So if right. you enter texting, then I think you're going to get some kind of deal um, through nice. signing up that way. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh. We're, I think we're going to go. We're going to go and we're going to hang out. Very yeah, cool. Do a, maybe record a show there. Maybe interview some people. Do something. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of sort that out. But uh, Justin and I are going to drive to Vegas together, so we'll see how that goes. Oh. <laughs> Justin <laughs> and Jason on a road trip yeah, with my two girl, with my two daughters in tow, because I'm going to drop them off at her um, at my wife's parents. So that's going to be an interesting road trip in and of itself. But um, yeah, so yeah, we'll be at MicroConf. Be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so if if you're a if you're a Mixer G listener, uh, Andrew Warner's going to be there. If you listen to Starps for the rest of us, uh, Rob Walling and Mike Tabor are going to be there. If you listen to Texing, we'll be there. Patrick McKenzie will be there. John Ellis. I mean, all these people. Are you are you uh, are you going, uh, Ruben? Yep, I will be there. So I guess I'll get to meet you guys. That should be interesting. Awesome. That's going to be really awesome. cool. Just and I, cool. I well, had a chance to meet Rob. Uh, I don't know what maybe six nine months ago he happened to be in pasadena and we grabbed coffee with him for a couple hours and he's a really really nice guy so it's gonna be fun to hang out with him so yeah hope to uh, see you guys if anybody uh, any of our listeners do uh, plan on going also flick us an email let us know because it would be fun to kind of uh, try and hook up with as many of our listeners as possible while we're there and grab right. lunch or dinner or whatever while we're while we're in town so um yeah. Um, all right. Do you have any? I, I have some more questions uh, that I'd like to get in before we're out of time. Justin, do you have anything else you want to follow up on? Yeah, I th- I'd say we've got like another ten minutes. Uh, well, okay. well, we do. I don't know how much Ruben has. Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm good. Hey, the guy's self-employed, <laughs> yeah, so, man. He could do whatever he <laughs> right, wants. Right. Yeah, that's that's the beauty of it. <laughs> all right, J- Jason, why don't you j- you drive for the next ten minutes then? Because I know you've got you're itching to ask a few questions. Well, I, I want to ask. I want to ask about the sort of. Um, you know, the wife family, um, issue, because, you know, a lot of times it can be sort of a sticky issue of, of starting a bootstrapping while you have other significant financial responsibilities. And especially when you have a wife and or mortgage, because it's, it's not just you, you know, it's not like, well, I'm going to do this thing and if it doesn't work, then I'll just deal with it. I mean, someone else is going to have to pay the price too. And oftentimes wives are not crazy about paying that kind of price. And, um, so how did that, how did this whole conversation go with you bootstrapping and you know, how, how supportive or nervous was she about it? Well, uh, are are you talking about like right before I quit my job or way in the beginning, uh, when I was just building bid sketch? Let's let's hear it all. I mean, you know, cause when you, when you, when you first, cause apparently you tried to do some other things. I mean, and I guess she knew that you were trying to do stuff. So what, right. Right. Well, I, I, when I was, building those other products or when I was building BidSketch, I didn't, I mean, we didn't talk about, like, I, I didn't have a conversation with her saying, okay, well, I'm going to build this product and it's going to make so much money that, you know, I'm going to stop working and focus just on that. I, I didn't even, I don't know that I thought it would get to this point. You know what I mean? I, right. I, I was, I started BidSketch, I think, to launch a product to learn how to do it and then maybe do something better and bigger and something that would make more money later. But it was more, more of a learning uh, exercise for me, I think. So there, there wasn't much of a conversation about that. It was just like, okay, I'm spending my nights and weekends doing on this and it's going to bring in some money, um, you know, which is going to be helpful. But yeah, in the meantime, I'm not going to be able to spend that much time with you because I'm working on this. So it's going to take a right. lot of time. Uh, 
so I think that was the extent of it. Um, but I said, but I did tell her, I, um, I, and I didn't know any better at the time. I said, it'll, it'll be a few months of this, but then it'll get much better, right? After I launch, <laughs> you know. So you lied to her face is what you're telling us. <laughs> basically, basically. He didn't know. Yeah, I, I didn't know. Um, <laughs> right. And, and so she was okay with this? She's like, oh, she, she wasn't going to have as much time with you, but she just knew that you was something that was important to you for you to do and she was supportive? Right, right. She, you know, she saw that I really wanted to do this and, uh, you know, figured, okay, it's just going to be a few months, right? And then it's, things are just going to go back to normal and this will probably bring in some money. So it'll be good. Okay. So she, she was right. very supportive about that. Um, and, yeah. What I was really worried about was when I started it, I launched and then I had to keep working on it. And then she starts asking, uh, how, how much more are you going to work on this? And you, you know what I mean? Because she right. didn't see that, okay, things just slow down afterwards. In fact, I had to work on it more uh, after I launched. So, um, but it was bringing in money. So then at that, there was a point where I, I figured, you know what, I think I might be able to make enough money to just quit my job and work on this. Um, and actually I didn't, I held off on that conversation for a long while because she's very conservative as far as that's concerned. So I was, I was worried about how she would take that and whether she would just be totally against it or not. Against you leaving your job. Right. 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 Like, right you know, right. that's nuts. What are you, you know, what are you doing that for? Et cetera. So I, I didn't, I, I didn't know what she would say actually. So now that now that you're uh, uh, you know working for yourself, right? You're making enough money that um, you don't have to work. That you can work on this full time. I should you don't have to work for somebody else. I mean, how is she? She must be pretty excited about that, right? Because you're probably have more time for because you're around the house, you know, working from home. Right, right. Now, now, I mean, you know, when I, there was a point where it was making money and it was growing, and well, it was always making money, but it was growing and it was kind of obvious it would get to a point of where I'd be able to leave my job. And I started to feel her out like, Hey, what do you, what do you think? You know, like, you know, what? almost jokingly at first, this will probably make enough money to where I can leave my job. Right. Work on it full time. Uh, and she, there wasn't much of a reaction still. <laughs> she wasn't taking you seriously. <laughs> she was still conservative. Right? Yeah. 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 Um, I, she's I don't like, know I'm that she's like, I'm not serious. Gay. He's like, I'm not going to engage this insanity. <laughs> right. Um, but then after a few thousand dollars, uh, you know, and I actually sort of, I started to get her involved in like, she, she, she's the voice on my screencasts. And, you know, I try to give her updates all the time of like what's oh. happening and how it's growing and get her sort of in, involved in it and see how it's, how, you know, how it's progressing. So, so what, what was the revenue point where it was like, she started to take it seriously. Um, I think it was about three thousand dollars a month. Right, because that's that's real money. I mean, a thousand dollars a month. You can see how your your wife might be like, eh, you know. I mean, okay, so then maybe that pays for a couple car payments or something, but that's not going to replace your income. But three thousand with an upward trend, it's hard to ignore that, and not take it seriously. Right, right, yeah. So, oh, yeah. sorry, go ahead. By the way, I was just going to say it's funny. So you used her voice on the uh, on the screencast. 
Oh yeah, when I did the first one, this was at launch. It was so, I did the voice and I did the video and all that stuff. I still do them, but it was so bad. It was so horrible. My I, I hate my voice. So it was. <laughs> well, it was I, I, that, I I gave that recommendation a number of times on the show. Is like a female's voice sounds so much better on the screencast. Yes. It sounds so professional. It sounds like a real company. And when you have you know, uh, as as geeky guys talking on the podcast, it just sounds like some geeky guy trying to, you know, sell his web app, you know, and it sounds kind of small fry. But when you get uh, a nice female voice on there, it just sounds professional. It sounds high, like it's just high production value. Right, right. It's, and she has a great voice. So, you know, I, I don't know why I didn't think about it, but that's excellent advice. It's very true. Um, yeah, you know, my initial version was so bad that, you know, it's bad when you show it to your wife and, and she, she laughs. Okay. She laughed. She didn't laugh at the video. She laughed at my voice. That's hilarious. <laughs> then she started making fun of the way I was saying certain things. I was like, okay, this is not good. Did you, did you feel like, oh, fine. Well, then you do it or what? How'd that conversation go? Uh, no, well, no, then, then I showed a few other people and, you know, uh, most people were like, eh, it's not that bad. And a couple of people were like, eh, it's kind of bad. Um, <laughs> so, so then, uh, somebody might've suggested like, you know, voices.com and all that stuff. And I was looking at them and they sounded really fake. You know, a lot of the people on there like right. didn't have the energy and it was, I don't know. It just didn't sound like, I didn't want it to sound like a huge product or anything like that, but same time, I did want it to sound a little bit professional. So um, then I thought, wait, my wife, she has a great voice. Why don't I just use her? So then I just asked her. Yeah, that it, well, it, it it is a good. It is a she does have a nice voice because I, I I watched the demo or a video on your site and uh, I was impressed. I was like, oh, he made a good decision there because it was funny because. It's you use I think YouTube you host it on YouTube and so then after the video plays it has like other you know related videos and there was some other product and it was like some guy with a you know some coder with a foreign accent and I'm like oh my god something <laughs> <laughs> like exactly what you don't want to do you know right right that would have been me like you know <laughs> if I would have done it right so uh, to finish up your your story so you you had three thousand dollars a month and that's when the conversation turned a little she was able to take a little more seriously right then you know then i told her okay i've been saving money so i'm basically the plan is uh i'm gonna have you know x uh x amount in the bank account right to carry me over like six months uh if if it doesn't make money um you know if something happens and i lose all my revenue and and i need money from somewhere then there's money in the bank account that I've been saving right. up that, that, you know, that we can use. Um, and once BitSketch hits this, this amount, then it should be able to pay all the bills. I'm going to sell my car so I won't have a car payment and, you know, cut back a few on, you know, some of the expenses that I don't really need. So I did lower some of my, some of my expenses, the ones that I could, you know, not the big ones like mortgage, that's huge. But, right. uh, you know, some of the other stuff is helpful. And car payment, I think, was a big one. Uh, so then with all that, you know, I, sh- I showed her what, what I was thinking of doing. And she said, okay, you know, I think, I think this could work. She wasn't very, in, you know, like she, uh, she was still a little hesitant about 
that. She wasn't like, yes, okay, this is going to be great. You know? <laughs> yes, was quit a- your job, please. Right, yeah, that's right. a great idea. I still, I still sort of have this one thing, which is like a kind of, I don't know if it's like a fear or whatever, but basically because you've got all of your revenue coming in from that one product, does that kind of give you any cause for concern? Are you thinking about launching a second product or is it by, you know, creating a lot more customers moving to enterprise? Like how do you alleviate that kind of fear or do you even have it? I, I do have it. I, and I've been kicking around a few product ideas to, you know, I'd like to have something else uh, bringing in money, but you know what? I think it's safer than what I had before, which is just one job. Right. Mm. And just one source what, of, why is it safer? it's safer it because safer? I have, you know, over 500 accounts, paying accounts. So, um, you know, like one person at my day job could have had a bad day, a manager or something and fired me. And that's mm-hmm. it. No single person can, you know, get rid of all of my revenue. Interesting. Yeah. So I guess unlike Plugio where Twitter can basically turn me off, you don't have that with BitSketch. Right. So you're just completely independent. You've, you've got, uh, you're very distributed in terms of the 500 customers. Yeah, no, that is good. Right. So she, no, so now she, she's got to be pretty happy at this point, right? Yeah, I think when I, you know, got a couple thousand above that, then she started to, okay, this is, this is going to be good. And now she's, you know, I recently, about two months ago, quit my day job. Now she's, you know, saying, hey, when is it going to be my turn? You know? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, really? So now, right. right? right. <laughs> I don't know. So w- will she work for the company then? Yes. Yes. Um, that that'd be nice to to have you both kind of working on the product and the project and and basically both uh, away from work. That'd be awesome. Right. I, I don't know that she'll really do much. I mean, she'll be on the payroll for tax purposes and other stuff, and she'll help out with screencasts and a few little other things. Yeah, you know, I uh, my um, wife Sandy. She, I hired her actually. We, we weren't even married at that point. We were just living together, and I hired her to help my buddy and I run our company. And because all we did was write code and do sales presentations and it made a world of difference for us. And it was a lot of fun just actually having working together. Um, you know, you, you get to spend time together and uh, especially if, if you kind of get, if you get along, I mean, I know there's some right. people who say, Oh, I can never work with, you know, my spouse, but I don't know it was really, uh, uh, really fun. Although she says that I wasn't that great to work with. <laughs> I was <laughs> rent or something. I don't know what she says. I'm going to get her on the show one of these days and she can, uh, she can tell you her perspective, but uh, I enjoyed it. <laughs> So uh, that would be, that'd probably be really nice for you guys. Yeah, yeah, we we have uh, we have a lot of fun whenever uh, we do the screencasts because you know that's only a minute and a half of video, but it is uh, it is a lot of work. Even the audio part, you know, it's a minute and a half of audio, but it takes takes a good you know twenty thirty minutes to put that together. Well, you know, just generally having a project, doing a project with someone is fun. You know, I mean, it's just it's just. I don't know what it is. It's like a lot of time, you know, with family and friends, we just like hang out. I mean, we're not really doing anything. You're going out to dinner. You're just spending time. But you're not doing anything. And I, I, I find it less, less fun or less interesting than if you actually have something you're working on or doing together, sort of a project. And, uh, you know, a lot of times, obviously, when, you have, when you're, once you're raising kids or if you're remodeling your house, you kind of have lots of projects. But I don't know. I, I see it as kind of like a positive, fun uh, activity. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So, um, so Justin, I guess we're kind of running out of time here. 
Yeah, I think so. I think so. Did you get all the questions you wanted to get asked? I did. I, I don't have anything more to ask uh, that's relevant. <laughs> so. This has been, this really has been an excellent interview. I mean, we've really got into the nitty gritty of what it's like to build um, a software as a service business and especially bootstrap it. And I think that, I think that our listeners are going to really like this. Yeah, it was great. It was really great. It was, it was a nice sort of follow up to the um, Michael Slobinski interview from, for Nosby, right? Because it's yeah. similar bootstrapped web SaaS application thing and very, very, very similar. I think it's a similar experience and a lot of really good uh, insights because, you know, building a successful startup is just like we were discussing earlier. It's, it's just sort of a, a, a series of, of lots of little decisions and lots of little insights. And, uh, you know, I really, I, I guess uh, I, I find it really useful to hear the, the, the particulars because people talk in generalities, but those aren't always so. Yeah. And there's no 100% right way. That's what we learn, isn't it? The more we do the show, right? Everyone finds everyone finds their own path. Right. And um, yeah, there's, there's, general, there's kind of general guidelines, but you can make a lot of mistakes and still be successful. Right. Yeah. And, and it's very, extremely difficult to do it when you're, you know, working a full-time job and you're just doing yeah. it nights and weekends or you're contracting full-time or whatever it is, you know, as a part-time effort, there are a lot of there, you know, there are a lot of other challenges out there that people that are just doing it full time don't see. So I guess the take home from this is to explore this outsourcing aspect, because that really helped you push it out the door. A lot of people with full time jobs just don't get it done because they just it just takes up too much time. But if you're if you're doing outsourcing, that really is like a step up. It's like a hand up, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I think that was a huge reason why I launched BidSketch. And it continues to help me. I mean, now I don't really, I, I can work on it full time, but you know, you, you don't, there's, there's so many things that you don't need to do yourself. Just outsource them. The second thing to do, the second lesson might be to, to maybe participate in um, like the Micropreneur Academy or uh, Amy Hoy's, um, what's her new course called, Justin? Do you know? Uh, 30, 30 by 50 or 50 by 30, no, 30 by 500 or 500 by 30. Something like that. Go to Amy Hoy. But Amy Hoy has, has something similar. And, you know, uh, the Micropreneur Academy obviously has been very successful for you. So that's another really, I mean, you know, obviously going to cost you some money, but um, it might end up saving you a lot more time and a lot more mo- money and saving you from making mistakes that would ultimately derail the whole thing. So it's probably worth a little bit of money. I mean, I guess we should also mention Startup Guild, um, startupguild.net. What's that, Justin? Now, and that's, Can you tell that's us a little bit in, about Startup Guild? <laughs> well, Startup Guild is just, it's just like a, a free community for startup guys like us um, to just go in and get advice. And that's really what it is. So it's, it's a good starting place. But then I think something like the Micropreneur Academy, when you get a bit more serious about it, would also be very good to get into too. Well, Ruben, thanks so much for taking uh, the time to be on our show and sharing your experience with us. That's been really interesting and uh, really valuable hearing your insights. Been awesome. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. This was a lot of fun, actually. (laughs) All right. That's a wrap. We're out.